Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Draft from the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about a big weekend in racing and a big weekend ahead. Joining me in the studio, I've got Richard Uden and Louise Torres. Fellas, how are we doing tonight? We're good, thank you. Pretty good. All right, so uh, there's a lot to digest this week. Well, let's uh, let's start with the IndyCars uh, at St. Pete. This is a race that is Traditionally, the season opener, but it was the second race of the second race of the season this year in order to uh, make sure that we could have some fans there. And we did have fans there. Uh, nice amount of fans. Uh, St. Pete is always a great event. These uh, street races, especially the ones that have been around a while, are, are always a, a great event. Um, whether or not the, the race is a great show is always uh, up for debate. You know, some folks will complain that the race was dominated by Colton Herta, but my gosh, through the field, there was a lot of great racing there. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, and then there's a lot of stuff to digest, but, but first and foremost, Richard, you have told me in the past a couple of times and we've, it's, it's, you know, a couple recently, you're not a hundred percent sold on Colton Herta. Um, did, <laughs> did, did, did anything that did anything he did this weekend, change your mind about that at all? I, oh, good grief. I knew this was going to come up. Uh, yeah, he was impressive. I will, I'll, I'll give him that much. He was very, very impressive. Uh, I, I think my, my comments on him aren't so much about when he's quick because he is undoubtedly quick, you know, in places we've seen that. It's more along his, his race craft and his ability to get the job done and, uh, you know, that sort of Scott Dixon and Will Power sort of mentality about, oh, you know what, this is a good position. If if your car's not there, let's bring it home fifth. Let's not try and do something you can't uh, with, with your equipment. So he was incredibly impressive this weekend. There's no doubt about it. And there's been a lot of a lot of very good things said about him by a lot of very influential people. Um you know, especially within the Andretti camp, you know, talks about it, you know, if he was in Formula One then the U.S. had loved somebody like that, and they're probably true. But again, I, I can't see that happening unless he goes on to dominate this season or you know the next couple and really get some serious attention from from some of the teams over there. But uh, yeah, the kid's impressive. You know, there's no doubt about it. And uh, you know, I, I think my comments, as I said, are more based around when he's not got a car underneath him that can win a race. You know, where where's he going to be then? 
Yeah, but that's all things he'll learn, you know. Of course it is. As, of course uh, yeah, it is. So, but, but I so. think, you know, potential-wise, potential-wise, gosh, the kid is great. You know what I mean? Oh, when, without any hesitation. You know, when, when he's on, he's on. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting, the Formula One talk, because it's 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 really grown some legs. And it's all, you know, it's all based on if somebody asked Mario a question in a press conference, right? And Mario says, yeah, I think the U.S. would uh, – you know, be crazy about this kid in Formula One, but I don't, I don't think there's any real serious interest from any Formula One teams in Colton Herta or anybody else from IndyCar series for that matter. No, because, you know, you know, they, uh, and yeah, I mean, been yeah. for a while because remember, New Garden was the talk, but now we got to talk about that age number because that is vital now in Formula One. If you're right, like in right. your late twenties, yeah, he'd be a, he'd be a veteran if he was in Formula One now. Yeah, New Garden will, but Colton's rather young. Yeah. I, I believe he's just 21, 20. isn't he? 21, yeah. yeah. He's in the ideal spot for him that is young, that he can probably give it a go. But then there's that super license, which was probably the, <laughs> yeah. the core talk of what Mario was frustrated about, how some IndyCar guys don't get the opportunity, yet Nikita Massapin could come in, albeit in some fairness, very minimal. He's got those two feature F2 wins, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, but those feature race, you know, yeah, I understand exactly what Mario was saying there. I think that uh, IndyCar certainly, t- to my mind, is a superior race series to Formula 2. Uh, it's probably ranked, you know, in single-seater world, I think it's ranked second behind Formula 1. So yeah. if you can get super license points from Formula 2, Formula 3, even Super Formula over in Japan, um, I, I think that IndyCar needs to follow suit with those uh, super license points. I, 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 also, I fully agree, yep. But also, wouldn't you say as well that this is the danger that IndyCar has? It ha- it's got to detract itself from this comparison with Formula One to be really successful, personally, in my opinion. And if they keep turning around and saying, oh, look, you know, our young guys want to go to Formula One. Well, it shouldn't be like that. And you shouldn't be looking at, you know, the half dozen guys now that are racing IndyCar that have raced Formula One. You know, you're always looking at it as if, well, you know, this is this is their last option sort of thing, or this is their, you know, fallback plan, which it may well be. But if you keep promoting it as that, then it's always going to play a second fiddle to Formula One. And I don't think that's fair on it. I think I don't, I don't has think the ability to stand by its, on its own two feet. And exactly, yeah. But, you but should I, be embracing when guys like Roman Grosjean, who, in all fairness, is probably is, is pretty not a million miles away from the peak of his career in his early 30s. You should be looking at him coming to IndyCar, not as a, oh, he's got nowhere else to go, as a real boost for IndyCar, rather than trying to say, hey, look, we've got to try and get our young kids out to Formula One. Well, no. If, if Colton Herter can win four or five championships in, in IndyCar. Yeah, he probably will not get the financial rewards that he would do in, in Formula One, but he still had a damn good career out of it and achieved a huge amount considering the talent of the drivers is against. So it's a very dangerous game that they've got to try and play, a balance to promote itself, but not also be too disparaging about itself. Yeah, but I think I think even beyond the you know IndyCar comparison of Formula One is the desire to have an American driver in the series, you know, realistically, like, you know, when we had John Orivitz on the show, he mentioned that the last American to win a formula one race was in 1978 with Mario. 
You know, yeah. and, you know, since then we've had, you know, Danny Sullivan, we've had Eddie Cheever. We've, we've had Scott uh, Speed. Scott Speed. Michael right? Andretti with that Michael Andretti. Podium. Michael Andretti for a short time. Um, Rossi. Rossi for five starts. But there's not been, I mean, Scott Speed was the last guy to run a, a, a whole season. A, a whole season. Yeah. So I, I know that uh, Liberty, you would think Liberty would be really much behind an American driver in Formula One. But at the same time, I mean, look, or, isn't Formula Liberty also part ownership with Meyer Shank as well? If I remember correctly, yeah, they've got an involvement in that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 when, and I think we, we covered it a lot it. when I think we covered it a lot when John was on the show and we did that special with him. You know, it's the mentality, it's there's something more to it than just having talent because there is zero reason whatsoever why the country of your birth affects how talented you are as a race car driver. You know, the opportunities at five and six year old kids to get into karting in the US is pretty much the same as it is in the UK and the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. It's there's a mentality there that is different between Europe and the US. And that's not just reflected in motorsport, that's reflected in all sports at that age. And I don't think that's ever going to change. And until that changes, you're not going to see a kid come through Indy Lights, for example, and going to Formula One, or IndyCar and going to Formula One. The only way you're going to see a you know an, an American-born driver in Formula One is if they move to the UK at ten years old, 11, 12 years old, and go through the European ladder and have that discipline and that training. And you're seeing that McLaren, McLaren have signed this uh, what twelve, thirteen-year-old karting champion, and I'm not even going to pronounce his name because I can't. I'm sorry. Yes, his name um, is very difficult to pronounce, yes. He was, he was born in the U.S., but again, he's had to go to Europe at that age to get not the opportunity, but the culture, and that's the big difference. You know, mm-hmm. you, you look at all the drivers come over from Formula 1 and they come to IndyCar, and they go, oh, you know, IndyCar's great because, you know, you can meet the fans and you can talk to them, and you don't have all the stuffiness, if you like, and restrictions that you have in Formula 1, and that's very true. But you have those restrictions and you have that stuffiness in Formula One. That's not going to change. So if you want to get into Formula One, you've got to adapt to that lifestyle. It's not going to do it for you. So if you come from a background where there is, you know, it's a lot more laid back and open, it's so hard to make that transition into a restricted environment like Formula One and a disciplined environment like Formula One. Um, Richard... Point well taken. Point well taken. Sorry, sorry. Sorry. I was going to say we, uh, <laughs> we we beat this one to death a couple of weeks ago. We did. But, but we I want to I, I want to talk a little bit more about the St. Pete race. So the uh, yes, the, the, oh, guy... the race was sorry. <laughs> it's all good, but yeah, you're talking about that. I think Colton was in Europe for a couple of years before going back to the, the American route to go through the Indy Lights to Indy Car for sure. But you have a good point in that regard. The Absolutely. race is so, so, yeah, about the race. So, so <laughs> who are the guys that Colton Herta held off at the end of the race? A couple of guys named Newgarden and Pagano. You know what I mean? That's that's pretty brilliant in itself. Um, and then you had Will Power had problems in qualifying, which is I mean, Will Power's problem in qualifying were, were you know odd because here's a guy who's like, you know, come in, clock in, win a pole. You know, <laughs> especially St. Yeah. Pete, which he's done like eight times before. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but then there's, 
uh, this thing about the Firestone tires. I don't know if you heard this one, Louise. And and the lottery system that the tires are given out to, or as are given out, and, and I think Power said an off the cuff comment about getting a bad set, which caused Firestone to vehemently defend themselves that that all you know all the all, all the tires are the same for every driver. So I mean, do you think do you feel like Will Power got a bad set of tires, or or maybe his setup was just all off? It's hard. It's really hard when there's two sides in the argument to really pinpoint what might have happened. But to start off 20th at a track that is anonymously known for track position is everything difficult to pass street course. It certainly set them in a kind of a difficult hole. And, and what I saw from the race itself before Jimmy Johnson had his brought up the first of two full course yellows, he was stuck. He couldn't get any track position to the point I said to myself before the caution happened. The only way I see power gaining any positions or have a, a ideal result, which is key to his to be in the championship hunt, is to be in having these strong runs right out of the gate, is through strategy of full course yellow. He's gonna had probably had a bank on it, and there was no other driver that really benefited from those full course cautions than Will Power because after that he was basically one of the few that was gaining positions with relative ease. He got better over time and he managed to get a top ten out of it. But for the tire and the the, the setup, it pretty much depends on which side of the argument you're on. Because if Firestone defends itself, you've got to understand that side. But also from Power, who, ne- who rarely has to start deep in the field or have a bad qualifying, you you got to speculate, you got to wonder some things. There's always both sides of the argument. I just try to play it by ear, try to see which one is more reasonable, which one is not, without really leaning towards one or the other. Yeah, and, and to Will's credit, I mean, he actually had a pretty good day, you know, considering he started in 20th. I believe he ended up eighth, mm-hmm. which is not not too shabby for starting so deep in the field on a place that's, again, like I said, historically hard to pass. So but we had other guys that had problems. Pato had some problems. Rossi had problems again. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he, here's Rossi, a guy who's, again, saying nothing but the championship will do this year. Now he's two races in and mired deep in the points. Now um, yeah, he had, 16 had a, out of 24. Yeah. I know. All right. Had a run in, run in with Graham Ray hall. They were able to kind of patch that up. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was just a racing ordeal. What is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What, but, but, hurt, what hurt him a bit is before the incident happened at the right rear that came up as a relatively slow pit stop. And then when he got out, Ray Hall was in good position the moment they tanked the tank. The first tank was what cut the, what hurt the tire, and it was very difficult to steer. So at first, I was thinking, oh, geez, this will not bode well. Then realizing it was the tire going down, I think what was it? I saw a Twitter comment that Brandon Eves, a road to Indy driver, was talking about how there's really not much a driver could do when a tire goes down when it comes to turning. So it was just a whole racing ordeal. And that's the grand takeaway. But before, for both guys, especially for Rossi, championship or bust, that's not good. For Ray Hall, it seems like they're that a little bit close to being a dark horse contender for the title. That sets him back. He's outside the top 10 of the points going to Texas. That's not good for his cause either because it seems like Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan could be up there, but Mulligans are going to bite him. This time was just a racing ordeal that bit him rather than just little circumstances like that stops a year ago. Yeah. Now I want to bring, bring this up about the, the little bit of racing contact and Richard, I want to direct this question towards you when there was that little tangle 
between uh, Sato and <laughs> yes. James, James Hinchcliffe. And again, yes. now I, I want to say Hinchcliffe was a little unkind in his comments to say that Sato run out of talent because uh, yes, as I so. as I watched that thing, it looked like uh, Sato had a line in it that great crash, move. Crash was all on Hinch, but um, yeah. so I, as they with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Touch tires, right? The, mm-hmm. the the guys in the broadcast booth mentioned that the valve stem just snapped off, which caused the tire yep. to deflate. Um, and and then there's another one later in the race where they said the same thing. Oh, the valve stem snapped off. I, think I, was say, yeah. I was gonna say, I've been watching indie racing my whole life, and mm-hmm. and I can count on one hand how many times I've heard this. Oh, they knocked the valve stem off in the in, mm-hmm. in a in a so I mean, is the valve does the valve stem stick that far out on the side of IndyCar tire? Yeah, you know, I just I, to me, I was like, what? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not 100 certain on its exact location, but typically you'd want to make it, you, you do make it as close to the rim of the tire as you possibly can for, um, you know, ease of, um, you know, changing the pressures because what will happen is. Typically throughout the weekend, you know, your tires will be mounted on the rims and be pressurized to a, a nominal pressure. And then throughout the race, the, you know, the, the strategy guys and the race engineers will be getting feedback from the driver and they'll be adjusting the pressures on the tires before they put them on the car, you know, pretty much up until like the lap that the driver makes a pit stop on. So uh, they do have to be easy access. They do have to be, you know, quick, um, you know, quick enable in terms of, uh, you know, it's not like your road car where you've got, you know, you're fiddling around with this little valve stem, you know, they do have to be relatively easy to get to. So that does, excuse me, inevitably make them relatively fragile. Uh, but yeah, it was a little bit unusual and it did sort of strike me as a little bit strange that they had um, two failures in such similar ways in, in such quick succession. But um yeah, I think the, uh, the the both of those instances were purely racing incidences. Um, you know, we we talked about the George Russell thing a couple of weeks ago. You know, the same with the Sato thing. You know, if there's a, if the gap disappears or if, if there's a gap there and you can take it and you don't take it, then you know you're really doing your job. Um, so I I don't have an issue with the driving in either of those moves. They were just unlucky. You know, there's. As you've said, those sort of contacts happen hundreds of times in the season, and you know nothing ever happens apart from a few egos get hurt. Um, so, but this is you this, know, this is the weird thing, though, right? So we saw Grosjean right brush the wall how many times? Oh yeah, 
somebody else uh, was as well. Times yeah, but, 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 but we didn't see his valve stems just snap off like that. That's, no. that's why I thought the whole thing unusual. Like I've been watching Nitty Cover whole I've never heard of. Oh, the valve stem popped off. And Paul Tracy well, think, does it like it happens all the time. I think what you could also see, because obviously when you hit the wall, the wall that you're hitting is a rigid structure, whereas when you hit a, it's a tire on tire, the actual tire can deform and, you know, sort of go into the tire well. Right? Obviously, a wall's not going to deform in the same way. Um, so maybe that's what you're seeing, um, you know, rather than just purely, you know, the physical contact is actually, if you like, the wheel is um, being deformed and ingressing into the wheel rim of the other car, which is knocking the, the valve stem out. I don't think the valve stem is proud of the tire of the the wheel rim. Let's put it that way. So if you if you kiss a wall flush, like you know, completely at a um, perpendicular to the wall, or parallel to the wall, I guess from the from the wheel face, um, you probably won't knock it out because it works so proud. But if you're going in there with a tire which deforms and you know contorts to the shape of the the wheel, then yeah, you, you know, wrong place, wrong time, and it can probably knock it off quite easily. All right. Well, there you go. Thank you for that explanation, Richard. So, Louise, what other what are your other takeaways from St. Pete? You mentioned about Pato earlier. It seems like to me a little bit, I don't know if you says in general, just how it, it looked to me. The Pato with the primaries just could not get going over time. And same goes with Renus VK when he was on those reds over time. They, the, neither of the two could get a grip on it. They were getting mauled by every pretty much several cars to the point they had to go with the primaries were as some that went with the stuck with the reds held their own. And those, the ones that held their own are mostly the veterans. Like if I recall Penske drivers that were up in the podium spots, they were running those kind of tires and they did just fine. Like, I take it's like one of those experienced versus inexperienced ordeals on street course adapting to certain tire compounds, or I don't think as much team related, it's just more or less trying to adapt to it. And I think that's what bit those two young guys. But nonetheless, for VK's case, he did pretty admirable. He's still in the top 10 in points after two rounds. Just curious to see how he does at Texas. If he gets out of there with a top 10, stays out of trouble, especially like we mentioned, those is Texas. That would, but yeah, now well, he's well, more yeah. and grown. So he, did, I don't he, see that he a needs problem. a little redemption at Texas. Texas is where he had, a, had, a, had an issue last year. The most disastrous. Series debut you can a driver would ever have in my book, right? Right. So, but uh, but I think you know he's held his own, and uh, yeah. again, like I said, pretty good run at St. Pete. You know the the Carpenter team isn't exactly setting the world on fire, but uh, but he was he was right up there in the mix. So good for yeah, him. What was with? Uh, I was a bit surprised about Alex Pillow sort of being mired in the mid pack. Yeah, he had an off, relatively off weekend. Yeah. At one point, like, what, like, five to go, he was 13th, and then when I looked at the final results, I was like, what happened to Polo? He was outside the, t- he was like 17th, I think he, yeah. oh, geez, it's like, well, Although, did I did, drop I did, him out of the championship lead? No, he's still two points ahead. There you go. I did notice something funny, and it, just from watching it from a, you know, a spectator standpoint, and listening to the announcers, the number of times the announcers and the, you know, the, the, the sort of experts say, oh, well, you know, over the winter I was talking to the driver. And he, I mean, how much do these, you know, the press guys talk to the drivers? I mean, I don't talk to my wife as much as these guys talk to their drive, to the drivers. I just find it hilarious as if they've got like a personal hotline to these guys. It was, uh, 
It it's kind of way feels... to dynamic. It's making, hey, we're buddies with all the drivers, sort of thing. It just, it's, it sounds, you know, I don't, I'm being cynical here, I know. I know. It kind of but feels that a way from NASCAR to where, like, I remember at the, in the media center at Daytona after Almirola won the dual race, he was excited to just see media people in the media center. So it's kind yeah. of like, it sounds like the opposite with IndyCar almost. Yeah, it's like, oh, we're buddies with all the drivers and we talk to them every day. It's like, it just, I don't know. I mean, they may do. I mean, hey, they genuinely may have this really close connection with all the drivers, but it, you know, it sounded like they have like a family reunion every week with them. Yeah, that is true. That's a point. That was just a, a little takeaway that I noticed from watching the race. It was like, you could almost like, good job. I didn't take a shot every time they said it. Cause I wouldn't have made it halfway. All right. So now Louise, you mentioned Palo is still leading the championship by two points. Yep. Closely, closely, closely behind him or Alex Palo and then or, I'm sorry. Scott Nixon. Yeah, Alex Flo is still eating the points, and Scott Nixon is right there, right there, only three <laughs> three points out of the lead, which uh, got to make everybody else uncomfortable. I mean, Dixon yeah, hasn't yeah. Dixon hasn't made a lot of headlines yet, but there he is. Right second, it's been a good while since he's won too. I think we're we're getting close to that one year mark since he's last won an IndyCar race. Because he won the first three, and then he won one more. But after that, he hasn't won in a good while. So we'll be curious to see how Texas will pad out because there's two races. With, 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 so a lot they of were dominant there last year, weren't they? Yeah, he basically eviscerated the field. From what I understand, some drivers were not happy with like with the PJ1 and all the track surface, how it handles. So that's going to be a big question mark, I'd imagine. And honestly, it should not be the big thing. Like last year, was the PJ1 was like one of the big stories of the season opener went a year ago. So be curious to see how that plays out. Well, I mean, they, they tested their Texas, and they said it's still not quite what they'd like for IndyCar. They're still not going to get, uh, you know, a couple of different lines because – uh, you know, even though they've tried to scrub that stuff off there, there's enough of it remaining. Yeah. That, uh, that it's still, so it'll be interesting to see what we see in Texas. We've got a double header. Um, and one day of one practice session and one qualifying, which I believe is the same rule as it was last year. First lap determines the lineup for race one and lap two determines the lineup for race two. Right. And they're, they're qualifying in race trim. Yeah, on Saturday because Sunday is just the race itself and go go go. Right, but they're, the, but they're gonna quali- they're gonna qual- qualify in race trim rather than you know trimming it down for qualifying. So yeah, uh, which, they and then there's a little speculation this will help out the, the the guys newer to the series. There's somebody had written an article about that, but uh, so with that being said, we need to yeah make sure we <laughs> keep keep time in the show to discuss all of our topics so so louise who do you like for texas one and texas two let's go texas number one let's go with new garden and texas number two probably i'm gonna bank on a i'll be curious to see how colton does in race number two i feel like colton will get it done at two for because that 26 car did pretty good with sack beach I imagine Colton will make it exponentially better. I'm curious to see how Pietro Fittipaldi does with that 51 car because it seems like they're there, but we'll see how Pietro does in his first IndyCar start since 2018 because I've been looking forward to see how he does. More so come the month of May so he can finally get that Indy 500 that he was hoping to have done already. Yeah, so they have they have confirmed uh, Pietro for uh, the ovals that Groshaw's not racing. 
And um, Connor Daly's going to run for Connor. Connor, Connor Daly has been confirmed for all the ovals that Max Chilton is not running, which is just all but Indy. All but Indy, yeah. So, and of course, Connor will be in uh, Ed Carpenter car for Indy. Mm-hmm. And the so, third car, the 47. Right, right. So now, Richard, who do you like for Texas one and Texas two? Oh, I think we'll go. I mean, I think you can't look past Scott Dixon, really, can you? Uh, if he gets it all together and. Um, yeah, somebody uh, go for one of these part-time drivers who's doing the ovals. Uh, Ed Carpenter, I think, could be pretty. He's he's racing, isn't he? He's uh, he's mm-hmm. stepping up for these races, so uh, I think he could have a good good one or the other anyway. All right, and I'm gonna go with uh, Will Power bangs out a win in Texas one and uh, gets his championship hopes off to a, a you know grinding start there. And uh, Texas, too, I'm going to go with, um, hmm, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking about former Texas winners. And Graham Rahal comes to mind. You know, Hinchcliffe uh, comes to mind, who's run well there. Uh, but I really want to say probably Dixon, who's uh, nearly unbeatable anywhere on any given day. So that being said, Talladega, Brad Keselowski yep. won. So now, fortunately, zero red flags in the cup race. Big sigh of relief. Well, okay. So now, officially, all of the team Penske drivers on both their Xfinity and Cup are locked into the the chase or that the is playoffs. Correct. Yep. So so good for them. It's early in the season. They've got all their guys locked in for the championship. Uh, which is outstanding for them. But uh, Keselowski was not dominant all day. He was he was up there near the front <laughs> all day. He's always does well at that. But the only lap he led was was the checker flag the lap. Yeah, uh, and he but, had a he had a bounce back from that big wreck in, in mm-hmm. stage one, where his teammate Joe Logano had a blowover after a little battle between Ricky, St- little drafting battle, drafting wars with Denny Hamlin and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. went awry. And much like Brendan Gong, Logano flew up. The difference was he put it back. He slid on his roof. Didn't do a full 360 like Gong did. So style points, Gong gets the win on that regard. But Logano got hit on the roof by Bubba Wallace. Not terrible in Bubba's case because he went on to win stage two. But for Logano, and it pinched the roof. It caved the roof down to where he felt it. And he had a he, he was very livid about it. Because of just how the package, the safety infrastructure, because brought up Ryan Newman, because we're 14 months removed from what happened with mm-hmm. Ryan Newman at Daytona, where Corey LaJoy ran, hit him, hit Newman's roof. Fortunately, we still have Newman around. But after seeing what Logano's, the damage of Logano's roof, it, it made me wonder we've been dealing with roofing for caving in for a good while now. That's twice in the last 14 months. You think they would find a way to make the roof a little bit more stronger so it doesn't came down. And that's where I understand Joey's frustration, but Joey's no stranger to being the one causing these incidents that probably had done some harm than good on others. Because there's still some people out there that feel like Logano is the reason why Danny Hamlin's 2013 went down to, went down to hell because of the injury of Fontana. It's just his driving style just is not registered well to a lot of people. But for 
as I mentioned, tough day for Logano, but for Keselowski, he was involved. He rallied back. He was able to get the help he needed to be Matt Benedetto, who had the strongest car outside of the Gibbs stable because the Gibbs decided to take themselves out, Hamlin and Truex at the end of stage two, to where it was basically Benedetto's race to lose. But wasn't meant to be for Benedetto. Big gain for Keselowski. Yes, the one lap certainly count for him. And now, what we talked about at the beginning of the year, can Penske find a way to have luck on their side? Now they have the luck, in my honest opinion. They've won. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like they couldn't buy a win early in the season, but now, now they're 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 you know lock stock and barrel ready to go. Now, Richard, I know you have some thoughts on this, <laughs> so I want I want to allow you to soapbox it up a little bit. And uh, the oh, floor, boy. the floor is yours. Thank you. Um, yeah, I I think so, you know the the comments that Joe Logano made um, post post accident were, were very valid. They and when I say they, I'm talking about NASCAR and the governing body. They're playing with fire here. We've seen in the last four or five years a number of serious accidents that purely by luck, and I'm not going to put it any more than that, we haven't lost a driver or have a driver seriously, seriously injured. Um, you know, Logano... Um, you know, that was a pretty wild ride, but you look at what happened to I mentioned Ryan Newman and going back a couple of years before that Austin Dillon's accident in Daytona. You know, these are serious, serious accidents. These aren't just somebody brushed a wall and took a couple of cars out. You know, the problem that we have is motorsport is fundamentally dangerous, and that's why people watch it, and that's why the drivers get paid the amount of money they do. However, NASCAR push it. They market themselves off it. They market themselves off the big one. You know, at Talladega, who, you know, who's going to be involved in the big one? And it's on the TV commercials a week before the race, two weeks before the race. You know, get your tickets to Talladega and come and watch the big one. Well, one year you're going to do that and you're not going to watch the big one. You're going to watch somebody be killed. You know, and... And look at what damage that'll do to the sport. They, I know that the super speedways are a, spect- a spectacle, and they certainly are. You know, they they can be mesmerising when you watch these packs form. They're almost organic in the way they race, and the skills involved in in plate racing, or you know, obviously not you know, technically plate restricted plate anymore, but it's it's a, it's an art form, and the skill of the driver is huge. But you have to legitimately question: Is it worth it? You know. At what point do we say, okay, we're pushing this too far? And on the Formula One side, Danny Ricciardo made the same comment. You look at the way Formula One um, PR are pushing, you know, 2020 highlights. It's all about who had the big accidents. And that's not right. You know, NASCAR doesn't have the race craft, if you like, of a Formula One or an IndyCar where you see the great overtaking moves and somebody diving down the inside into a, tight corner and something like that because it's just the nature of the racing so they publicize these things and they are running a very 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 dangerous game here at some point a driver is going to get seriously hurt if not killed and it's going to be purely in the name of entertainment and that's got to stop this isn't this isn't the gladiators in rome 2000 years ago these are 
these are young guys, some of them with families, some of them with, you know, and nobody, and I admit nobody's making, forcing them to go in the cars. It's the do it out of choice. But NASCAR has a responsibility to these guys and they have a responsibility to the sport and they have the responsibility to spectators. I remember when I was 10 years old in 1994, watching the San Marino Grand Prix when Senna was killed. And to me, that was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And my parents having to explain to me what was going on, you know, no, you know, but that isn't how these things should be dealt with. And I, I worry that they're missing, you know, it's been so long, thankfully, since they had a death in NASCAR that they're missing the point. You know, Formula One had, you know, the, the loss of Jules Bianchi and uh, IndyCar have had, you know, Dan Weldon and um, Justin Wilson, and they've done something about it with the halo and the aero screen. You know, NASCAR's response, oh, we stuck another piece of steel tubing in the car. Well, you know what? That's not going to fix the problem. When one of these things goes down bad, it's going to go down real bad. And you can have as much tubing and crap like that in the cars, and it's not going to make any difference. Okay, so, I mean, do you feel like we've reached an era in NASCAR where you get a whole generation of drivers that are desensitized to 100%. the possibility of death? Because this is, this, yeah. is what ha- this is what happened in Formula One before Senna died. You, yeah. you know, you had, it had been so long. Huge accidents. Yeah. And you walked away from it. You know, and, you know, the yeah. same thing. So, yeah, and... Uh, so NASCAR has been what two thousand once since somebody died in a Cup Series, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was somebody in in Mexico, wasn't there? That, that in one of the like the NASCAR Mexican Series was yeah. killed a few years ago. But in, in the grand scheme of things, yes, from a publicity it's been twenty years when that happened with let's see what was Carlos Pardo. Yeah, that yeah. thing. But that in, 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 yeah, really, in the grand scheme of yeah. things, yes. No, I was going to yeah. say it's like that ordeal. That whole thing disintegrated. And then we're, we're talking about roofs. You brought up the good point I was alluding to. It's like you got to find a way to structurize the roof to the point where it doesn't cave it. Because otherwise, but you don't. But that's not the fix. The fix is to stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you I mean, don't the, have, the, oh, yeah, the, like blowovers the, and all that. Yeah, yeah. The fix is to keep yeah. the car in the ground. And they, you know, NASCAR to to their credit have been trying to keep the cars on the ground on these super speedways forever. You know, you remember when they but, first put the roof flaps on. Back in the nineties, oh, the rouse flaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 again, I know there's the, I know there's the sort of the romance of going to Daytona and Talladega. I get that part of it, but you're you're trying to push water uphill here. You know, it's not easy. You're not going to stop it from happening. These cars are so fast. And the aerodynamics designed in such a way that if you if you want to make it so that the cars will not flip over, you're going to change the complete shape and makeup of the car from an aerodynamic standpoint. And then who's going to bitch because the cars don't look right? You know, it's like there's a there's a just I hate I I, I hate don't I hate to say it no because I value personally I value drivers having worked with drivers I value their lives far more than the entertainment standpoint. Just. You've got to draw the line in the sand somewhere and say, we cannot do super speedway races anymore. Pure and simple. I, you know, I know that it will alienate some fans and that's terrible, but if it saves drivers' lives and the sport's still entertaining, then it's what we need to do. You know, it, I'm sorry, you've got to, if you were to take that 
into any commercial business, like I work in, like everybody works, you know, a, a, a normal commercial business and run a risk assessment, you would not go anywhere near a super speedway on a normal commercial business decision because the risks are too high. And how, you know, what would you lose? You may lose a few fans, but you, you know, I, I, you'd lose more fans when, when drivers are killed. But they, the, the problem is, and also NASCAR, they build on it, they play on it, they promote it, they, they want it. They. Oh they, no, no, with, without a doubt, every yeah. every every commercial for Talladega say, "Oh, when will the big one happen?" You know, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. So even and, now to this day, I have that stigma. It's like lap four, lap four. If they make it through lap four, then that's the first step because the first super speed. Well. The first time I saw a Talaga race was when Newman and 26 other cars were involved. I was thinking left force has been etched in my mind. Now the big yeah. question is, can they make it through the last lap of a stage without wrecking? It's like, it's just like yeah. 2017. And that stage racing, the stage racing has just encouraged it. They've made it worse. Yeah. Even you as, know. Oh, and, and the, yeah. the, the green white checker encourages it even more. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, this uh, race didn't have like, the whole field all destroyed. At least we had a, about over half the field of cars still with relative minimal to no damage. So that, yeah, it wasn't terrible, but yeah, the blocking were super aggressive and how they, how finicky and sensitive they get during a movement and all of that. That's some, that's the like hair rate, hair, hairline racing and all that stuff. But the fact that made us through, that was good, but still makes you wonder one bad move, big pack of cars, Oh, I mean the the it, yeah, it's it, it's getting beyond you know. It's, it's, the only thing that's going to stop it is by somebody being killed. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but that's the only thing that's going to stop it, pure and simple. And even then, would it stop it? I I, I genuinely don't know. You know, I, yeah, I don't know because you got you've got to look at NASCAR's track record. I mean, how many guys died of a basilar skull injury? Before the before the hands, be, yeah. before it was Earnhardt, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stanley yeah. Smith. That's about it. In that time period yeah. before Earnhardt. Yeah, it. you you had a you know Kenny Irwin. Um, yep. Adam uh, Petty. Over, Adam Petty. Adam Petty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Several guys died of the very same injury before. Yeah, but, at least Alexander but, afterwards, and that's when they finally mandated the Hans device. Right, right, and you know the funny thing is, oh, it's uncomfortable, you know, and yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't, I, the you know, it's it's head and neck restrained, even the helmets back there. That's why her never open face yeah, or that even cut some of the drivers would cut the seat belt so they could turn in the seat better. Yeah, they. Yeah, would well, do yeah, well, I mean, the yeah, the the old story is yet the Earnhardt wore his seat belt. You know, pull his pull his one arm out of the seatbelt, and yeah. then they tried to crucify Bill Simpson when you yep. know when indeed it was Earnhardt actually using the equipment improperly, yeah. uh, which caused Bill Simpson to just kind of you know turn away and and walk away from NASCAR. You're going to sue me, hey, you know exactly. So yeah, uh, but at, at the end of the day, though, I don't know if super speedway racing needs to go away. 
because it gets kind of yeah, you know because you but, but, the drivers feel but, but, but you've got but cars yeah but you've got but, yeah but drivers you, compared to the fans yeah but you've got to get some space between those cars you can't have them all running bumper to bumper three four wide because that's just a recipe for disaster but you're never going to get that you know but the only way to do that is to remove the uh tapered space you know to to let the cars run full open then they won't have that you know the reason they run bumper to bumper is because of the restricted plate type of space, whatever you want to call it these days. That's because you limit your horsepower. That's the only reason they run so close because you're 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 engine limited in these cars, and yeah, they're all, they're all essentially equal. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you're never going to stop that from happening with the current regulations and the current re- and again, but that's why people want to watch it because they want to watch pack racing. They don't want to watch single file Kansas racing every week. You know, Speaking of Kansas, that's where we're heading. Well, out. yeah, but they, they, yeah, exactly. But they want to watch, you know, the pack racing. So again, it's the mentality of people. It's the mentality of the people. They want to watch the wrecks. They want to watch the big one. You know, when you had these guys dying as re- regular as they were in the fifties and sixties, as tragic as it was, it was a different world then. We just, you know, the whole world had just come off the back of a a world war where young guys were being killed on a daily basis. And it was just, you know, oh, well, you know, another one's gone. We'll just find another driver. We, we have, we don't have that mentality anymore. And yes, things have been done to improve safety, but it's still an incredibly dangerous sport. And, you know, at some point it's going to hit, it's going to hit hard and something bad is going to happen. And if it carries on like this, in the next five years, we'll lose a driver. I'm pretty confident of that. As horrible as I hate saying that. But if in five years' time we have this conversation, we haven't lost a driver, I'll be incredibly grateful. But I fear that yeah. we will. Because they just we're going back to where we were in Formula One in the 90s. We just think we can just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And, uh, you know, oh, we've had all these accidents. You know, the, the Dylan, the Newmans, the Laganos. You know, I remember Carl Larson going up, uh, you know, end over end, you know, and Christopher Bell in the truck at Daytona, wasn't it? He had a huge truck. Yeah, oh, you know, and, 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 uh, truck was destroyed too. And, yeah, and Austin Dillon up in the cash fence. Yeah, you so many of those. At some point, even the Daytona Fighter, Kislowski's rear end to hit the fence and destroy a bunch yeah, of you know, cars in the progress. There, we, we're getting complacent about it. And at some point, it's got to stop. It has to stop. Not for the sports point of view, but for the... These guys, they're, they're real people. You know, the problem is we put them on this pedestal as race car drivers. We, we think they're superhuman. We think they're invincible. We, we see them walk away from these huge wrecks. And they're not superhuman. They're just like you or I. And... At some point, something bad's going to happen, and it's not good. You know, I remember what was it, Jeff Gordon, when he did his last race and a last season, and he, you know, he finished Talladega, and you know, I remember him saying, "Well, I'm glad that's over with. I don't have to do that again." You know, they just, you know, they know the risks, but the pressure is on them. And yeah, I could tell you, I'd imagine, I wouldn't be surprised if once Newman calls it a career, he'd be glad he's not doing any uh, super speedway racing. Even before his Daytona accident, yeah, he always he, used to 
because Carl Edwards almost went through his windshield. Yeah, even like when I was at the, when in the media bullpen after the Bush Clash, where only six car finished, pretty much I think Newman told him, if I remember, is it is it worth ripping? Is it worth millions, it? Yeah, is it worth, worth ripping dollar bills, millions of dollars just to destroy cars? Only six of them finish. Yeah, and and then like oh, what was it? Nine days later, he had that wreck. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's. Oof. Yeah, I, I worry. I really do. And, you know, not from, not just from a sporting perspective, but from a human perspective. We forget about it. And, you know, these guys are husbands and wives and fathers and, uh, and, and, and the like. And, yeah, we, we, we lose track of that at times. And um, we've seen it happen. And, as I say, you look at, I hate to say it, as you said earlier, Frank, you know, some of the younger generation of drivers, they don't get it, you know. It, you know, when you listen to the past several, several Logano, years. when you listen to Logano talk, he's an older head on, you know, in the series. Newman, they get it, but you know, some of the younger kids, they revel in it and they go, "Oh, look at oh, God, this huge wreck!" And oh, yeah, you know, no, it's it's not good. I worry, I really do. Yeah. All right. Let's hope so, I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I'm wrong. All right. Well, let's move on to another topic. And that topic being Kansas coming up this week. So, mm-hmm. uh, so Richard, who do you like for the Kansas single single file race? <laughs> <laughs> you watch. I said that now. It'd be an absolute. Thriller. I know. Right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I actually. Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick. There you go. He needs to win. Yes, SHR have been off. They're the only one of the big teams. I don't think none of those cars have won a race yet this year, have they? Nope, not yet, not yet. I think Hendrick and uh, you know Hendrick Penske and Gibbs have been dominating the win charts, haven't they? Yep, pretty much the whole season. The only notable is just Michael McDowell's five hundred win for yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so Louise, who you like for Kansas? I think Legato bounces back from Talavega and scores the win. <laughs> All right. And I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. There's a guy that needs to win this year. There's a guy who's won pretty much everywhere. And uh, there you go. So we got a few minutes left to talk about Formula One. Now, Richard, there's a new qualifying format. Mm-hmm. In Formula One, that's coming up, and it's this the sprint race. So it's essentially a little half distance race, or not quite a half distance um, race, where they don't have to make a pit stop, and that's going to decide the qualifying positions. My my concern with this is, oh, you know, crash damage. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I mean, because you you talk about if you're just trying to lay down a fast lap in a qualifying session. You know, stay away from everybody else. That's one thing. If you're trying to make a bunch of passes and advance your position on the track, that's a whole different. That's a whole different ball game. So, yeah. uh, personally, personally, I feel that the uh, Formula One knockout qualifying is pretty darn entertaining as it is. Yeah. But but they're going to try this to uh, spice up the show, I guess. And I guess we're doing it two or three times this year. I think the plan is to do it three times this year, starting at Silverstone. And I think, I think you're trying to fix something that isn't broken. As you say, I think the qualifying format they have in, in Formula One is probably the best of the three series that we have, you know, the three main series that we talk about on the show. 
I think it's a pretty good qualifying format. I think it, it works pretty well. It throws up the odd uh, surprise. But at the end of the day, you know, y- your fastest guy is going to be on pole, pretty much. And, you know, you deserve that. You, you know, you deserve, if you're the fastest driver in the fastest car, you deserve to be on pole and you deserve to win races. Um, you know, you're trying to put something out there. So you have, so the, so what you'll have now is have practice on Friday, qualifying Friday afternoon for the sprint race. Then you have another practice Saturday morning, the sprint race Saturday, and then the, that, and then the results from that will decide the grid for the race on Sunday. I think it's along those lines. And, you know, that's not my biggest criticism. If you want to do it, okay, fine. Let's try it out. I don't have a problem with that. My biggest criticism of it is they, they've openly said, we're going to do it on three races this year. And even if we do decide to roll it out into 2022, it's not going to be at every race. You know, some races, we're not going to have that. Now, that's where I think Formula 1 has an advantage over the other racing series is its continuity. You know, outside of Monaco, which is an exception to the rule, every other race weekend is exactly the same format in Formula 1. Friday, you got two practice sessions. Saturday morning, you got a practice session. Then Saturday afternoon, you got qualifying. Race Sunday afternoon. It's consistent. And that is one, and as that sounds really stupid, but I think that's one of the successes of Formula 1 compared to the other racing series. You know, other racing series, they have a two-day weekend, a three-day weekend, a one-day weekend. They have this type of qualifying, that type of qualifying. And it's difficult for people to keep up. Or so, no qualifying at all, where they determine it based on mathematical numbers. Yeah, you know, stupid stuff like that. I mean, hey, if you want to get to that, so just draw the numbers out of a hat, you know. But make it consistent. Make it consistent. And, you know, you, but then you're also going to, well, what's the racing going to be like on the Saturday? Are you going to have guys pushing it to you know, potentially knock a wing off or knock a suspension upright off, or, you know, cause damage? And as we saw from, um, you know, the race two weeks ago at uh, Imola there where George Russell and Valtteri Bottas had the accident, you know, that's a million dollars worth of damage to those cars. And now you've got the, the budget restrictions in place in Formula One. You know, Toto Wolff said, well, look, we were tight on budget as it is. Now we've had this accident. What do we do? Do we have to fire people to pay for the repairs? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line here. And that's, see, that, in- that's the thing, man. Do you risk it if, if you to yeah. gain, gain a position on the on the grid? Uh, yeah, I mean, the risk versus reward. Yeah, is, I don't is, understand it's phenomenal that. because because if you if you end up crashing, well, then you're starting at the back of the grid. So yeah, so so how is the grid on the Friday afternoon going to be different from the grid that would be on a Saturday afternoon under the current qualifying format? Probably no different at all. So why are we putting this extra element in there? You know, at the end of the day, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And you know, I don't think Formula One qualifying is broken. I think it's pretty good. But you, you have a, we've talked about this until the cows come home on this show, haven't we? Or I have anyway. I know I've raised this point. You have a fundamental problem in racing. Okay, you have qualifying, and over the course of qualifying. Typically, your fastest car is first and your slowest car is last. And you have a little bit of variance in the middle where people make mistakes or whatever it may be. And then you go into a race on a Sunday where the fastest car starts first and the slowest car starts last. And you expect them to overtake each other? Well, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to work out that's not going to happen. 
or that much anyway. The only way it's going to happen is when you have some cars that set up better for qualifying and some cars that are better set up for the race. But because of the development of simulation and the tools like that available to these Formula 1 teams now, you don't really get that like you used to. You know, you used to have a car that was really good at qualifying, but bad in there. You just don't get that these days. So you have a fundamental problem there of putting the fastest car first and the slowest car last. Then uh, you, you pick names out of a hat to decide the grid. Well, is that fair? You could argue it's not because it's random. And, you know, over, course, over the course of 22 races or 23 races or whatever it is, it would probably even itself out. And you look at every driver's average starting position and they'd be within a place or two of each other. So you could never argue that. But if you're going to do that, maybe that's what you do. You know, goodness, you know, throw a, I don't know, a darts competition in there. See which driver can get closer to the bullseye from eight feet. You know, I, is that what we're trying to do here? What are we trying to fix with this? Make more races during the weekend for the fans to watch? We'll make the race double headers and, you know, make the points count equally. I, I wouldn't be adverse to that. I think I'd be quite good having two races. But then you, again, then you're diluting the product. You know, would you get the same viewing figures on a Saturday and Sunday as you do for Sunday at the moment? I, I just think I'm trying to fix something that isn't necessarily broken. What are you trying to achieve here? Formula One viewing figures it, it, are pretty it, damn good right now. It, exactly, the racing's pretty good. Exactly my point. Yeah, there's like, uh, yeah, Formula <laughs> One is still drawing tons of viewers internationally. Yeah. Uh, so why? Yeah, why are we trying to... Uh... It'll just confuse people. Yeah. Because if you don't watch the race on the sun Saturday and you turn it on a Sunday, then, you know, you're like, oh, well, why is... So and so down in twentieth. Oh well, they had an accident, you know, on the on the Saturday. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's just, it just, as a, you know, the, the the thing that I always like about Formula One, and I think there's been its key to its success for so many years, is its structure and its predictability in terms of how things work. And now you're trying to throw an element in there that just, I don't know, I. It's not like I understand where, you know, and this isn't being disrespectful, but I understand where an IndyCar or NASCAR would throw in some of these quirky situations because they're chasing viewers. Formula One isn't. I don't know what the viewing figures are like, but they must be pretty high. You know, they certainly haven't dropped off massively in the last few years. So just embrace the sport for what it is. It's the pinnacle of racing. It's the pinnacle of engineering in the automotive industry. It's the pinnacle of driver performance you know fitness levels you know drive race you know these are the best 20 drivers of 19 and mazapin in the world sorry that wasn't cool but, but you know <laughs> that was funny though but you know it's these are the guys are the best embrace it for what it is embrace them for being the best drivers in the world and appreciate what we're watching big that up highlight that and don't don't try and create something that isn't don't try and manipulate formula one because formula one's better than that and you know i can see how they do it in other series to try and increase spectator numbers and the like i get that you don't need to do it in formula one you really 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 don't if you want more on track action as i say make it a double header race make two races on a weekend or whatever and i think most people will be in favor of that but don't have reverse grids or success ballast or any of this crap you see in other series because Formula One is supposed to be the purest form of racing and you're just trying to say fix something that isn't broken. Could have said it any better, honestly. 
It's yeah, you know, it sounds a bit gimmicky. Like, yeah, I understand the need of it for Formula Two. You have features and sprints, or the other way around. Now, it's wanting to have it there, but for Formula One, just to determine Sunday's lineup, it's notably like the big races, which does look like it might be catered towards like the major ones, like Silverstone and Monza, with one other yeah. one yet to be determined. There's really no need to it. It's just yeah, they only award points for the top three finishers, just three, two, and one, but. It's yeah, just a line of gimmicks. It is. And, you know, I understand how you, you know, and actually feature races and sprint races in Formula 2 are massively useful for these young drivers to learn about tyre handling mm-hmm. and, and you know, tyre management and things like that. You know, that you don't want these young kids having 20 lap sprint races all the time because when they get to Formula 1, they're not going to understand tyre management and, and how to race craft you know things that we don't appreciate so much as maybe maybe goes a little bit unnoticed but that's where stuff like the sprint race and the feature race is essential in the driver development you're in formula one you don't need to develop anymore you you've you've done that you've got to where you are so yeah just let it let it be you know embrace it for what it is in terms of the purity of it and don't don't try and and make something that doesn't you know you it almost thinks if you're creating a problem so that you can fix it you know uh, i don't know i don't know maybe maybe i'm completely wrong and you know this is going to be a massive success and everybody's going to turn around and say god we should have done this 20 years ago but well i, I mean the, the jury's out it. there but uh, at the same time uh, we are almost out of time so where are we off to next week in formula one uh portugal Oh, that'll be a great race. So, uh, who do you like yeah, in Portugal? You can't really look past uh, Verstappen. I don't think. I mean, I think he, you know, he had the car and he had the the, the beating of Lewis at um, at Imola, despite what uh, you know some of the things that were coming out of it. But now, I think that uh, I think that um, Verstappen will be strong, and I, I I hope and I think that Russell will get some points this weekend. Uh, I, I really think that. You know, he'll be very, very motivated after what happened at, uh, at Imola and some of the things that were said, which I think were very unfair. Um, you know, we talked about it last week, but, you know, if the kid hadn't gone for that move, people would be criticizing him for not going for that move. So I, I think Verstappen down for the win and, and Russell to nick a point or two at the end there. All right. Sounds good. Now, Louise, who do you like? I think it's going to be it's going to be back and forth between Hamilton and Verstappen. I think I'm going to go with Verstappen on this one. He takes the championship lead for the first time in his career outright. Yep. Yeah, it's hard to think of that, yeah. All right, so I'll go with Hamilton just because. Why not? <laughs> he's won a race or two from my understanding. Yeah, he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So This would be 100. This would be 100, wouldn't it? Uh, no, it would be 99. Yeah, I was going to say, get getting close, yeah. Is it all right, all right, polls? So, poll would be 100 poll positions. That's where he has more polls at the moment than race wins by a few. Okay, there you go. Yeah. All right, so we are out of time. So, but uh, quick program note: um, Turkey will replace uh, Montreal on the Formula One calendar. We didn't get to that story, uh, uh, which also leaves the question of the um, IndyCar race up in Canada in Toronto in question as well. So, but we'll cover that next week as well. But I want to thank you, uh, Louise. I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, Spreaker, 
Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio for covering us. And I want to thank you folks who listen to us. So till next week, good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.